Hard truths have to be revealed to people who are on a search for something greater than themselves. In this clip, of course, Luke Skywalker is in search of the force, the force of good that um, can remove Darth Vader and his dark force. And we can see in his struggle, in his doubt, in his confusion, there's a mystery to him of the unknown that kind of creeps in his heart and his mind. And this is why it's so difficult for him to get to that place to where he could raise up his uh, battleship. It is also, I believe, the reason why so many people, including us, have a hard time in getting to the gospel. We're on this search, we're on this journey, this quest to be closer to God, and yet doubt, confusion, and the mystery of the unknown creeps into our hearts and minds, and we kind of run away from it in much the same way that Luke ran away from Yoda, discouraged because he couldn't do it. Now, what this doesn't show is that a minute or half, a minute or two later in that uh, video, that Yoda brings up the ship and brings it over, and Luke is like, How did you do that? He says, Well, I did it because I believe. I believe. And when you believe, you can do it as well. Now, of course, you can see some parallels uh, with our Christian faith, but getting to the gospel or getting to the good news is tough, even for those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time because of doubt and confusion and the mystery of the unknown. And then we get defeated, and we throw up our hands, and we just go about our way in the way that we want to live life. And I think this is the reason why Paul wrote to the Roman church in such pointed language. The language of Romans, particularly the first several chapters of Romans, is almost like a tip of a spear. It comes in very sharp, it's very pointed, and it pierces to the very heart to the very morrow and joints of, of who we are. And sometimes that makes us really uncomfortable because there's uncomfortable truths, hard truths, that have to be revealed. His intent is to clarify, to remove doubt, and connect the dots to a group of people, that is the Roman church, and then by extension to us, who are on a journey to discover who God is and what he requires of us. That is why that this passage in the second chapter, the first 11 verses in the second chapter are so important. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. There's a pew Bible in front if you uh, would like to use the pew Bible. And if you're not quite sure what Romans is, please look in the um, table of contents. If you're on one of those fancy little Bible apps, it's a few clicks away. But turn with me to Romans chapter 2. And as you do that, let us pray. Father, as we come to you to hear your word, may your word be pleasing to you. May this be an offer of worship as we 
surrender our hearts and our minds to you so that you may explain and instruct and encourage and warn us so that we may uh, turn our hearts to be closer to you even just by a little from the time that we've come to the time that we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Read with me in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. In passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume in the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impertinent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will have eternal life. But... For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek For God shows no partiality. One of the clues that we can pick up immediately here is the very first word, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, particularly in the New Testament, ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Because this is a verbal clue that will help us understand the bigger piece of the passage. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, we look back on what we looked at last week, verses 18 through 32. Last week, we discovered that God gives people up to the lust of their hearts, to immoral passions, and to worthless minds. And as a result of that, People are filled with unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips. They are slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, and inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. I'm not sure he left anything out. Therefore, and this is interesting... Because if you have those people doing those things and you're in a church body that is an assembly of people learning about God and many of those people who have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior and you have 
in the, in, particularly in the Roman church, you had a number of Jews who had converted to Christianity, and you had a number of what they call Greeks or non-Jews who had converted. And then you have a whole bunch of people who are coming in and are curious about the faith. Can you see how you can see those, if I'm the chosen people and I'm on this side and I am righteous and I am holy and I am of God and those people over there who are coming in, I can't believe. Can you believe what they were doing? Gosh, they're this and they're that. Right? How's that going to build up a church body? How's that going to build up any unity to anything? When you have such deep division. And I believe that this is in part the reason why the therefore is therefore. Because what does he say right after that? He says, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who judges. For in passing and judging either you condemn yourself. So he's right now speaking to the Christians in the Roman church. And the result of judging... Uh, by judging others, first you condemn yourself. Because somebody at some point is going to look at you and say, hey, you're doing this very same thing that you're accusing these people of, and you're wagging your finger of. Well, and we can look in current context of today. You look at the homosexual community, the gay and lesbian community, and how um, so many Christians over periods of years have just pointed their fingers at them over and over and over and over and over. And yet many of the people in the Christian community are adulterers. Or if they're single, they're sleeping with their boyfriends and their girlfriends. Well, that's sexual immorality as well. And I think this is what he's talking about here is, hey, wait a second. Let's pull back just a little bit and let's recognize that everybody's in the same boat. So it's not an us versus them find it interesting that the man after God's own heart fell in the same trap. He condemned himself. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Right? He has adultery. He commits adultery with one of his trusted leaders in his army. And in 2 Samuel 12, there's a prophet by the name of David who shows up. And as the Lord sent uh, Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, There are two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other one poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, a ewe, which he had bought. And he had brought it up, and he grew it up with him and his children And he used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. And this you was like a daughter to him. Imagine the family pet. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare it for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb... And he prepared it for the man who had come for him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you a hand of Saul. I gave you the master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And you gave the house of Israel and Judah. And if this was too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and do what is evil in the sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword now never shall depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes. I will give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and the son. And David said, Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. That's the good news, and you're not going to die. Nevertheless, because you did this deed, and you've utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Do you see how this boomerangs on us? And if it could boomerang on the man after God's own heart, where does that put us? In a pretty, pretty scary spot. I fear times like this because I know that I have judged others and I'm just waiting for the day that it's going to come back on me and it's going to condemn myself. And I'm like, I did it again. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize what I was doing. We'll get to how to defeat that here in a few moments. But I want us to rest in the uneasiness of by judging others, we condemn ourselves. Secondly, by judging others, we cannot escape God's judgment. As we saw here in the the account of David, God judged him. Now, he put him under severe discipline, and he'll put us under discipline as well. Why? Because he is holy. He can't allow sin in his presence. And he is loving, which means he's like a father when a son makes a mistake. He's going to discipline us to the point to hopefully we won't do what we did again. Third, by judging others, you misunderstand God's kindness. We find this in verse 4 of this passage. How many people do we know? And Paul will get to this in chapter 5 when he talks about cheap grace. Should I sin evermore? No. No, 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 no. I know people, and I'm sure you can think of people, who just continue to live on borrowed money and borrowed time. They know what they're doing is not right, but they continue to do it anyway. Why? Because nobody's called them on the carpet yet. Why? Because it's too fun. Because it's too pleasurable. Because I'm making too much money. Because of this. There's always a reason, right? And they say, I'll just live another day. I'll just live another day. People will forget about it, and I'll just live another day. 
And what many of those folks don't realize is that at some point, people's kindness is going to run out. Their patience is going to run out. And they're going to say, no more with you. I'm tired of this. Because you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And you haven't changed. And we've talked and we've talked and we've talked and we've talked and we've talked. You have taken my kindness as, a, uh, as an excuse to continue to do everything that you've continued to do. And I think oftentimes that we, because God is up there and we don't sense his presence and he's not like a human being who lives with us every day as a constant reminder, I think there are times in our lives where we think that we, because of his kindness and because of his patience, somehow that's a tacit approval of doing whatever you're doing. And it's not. And I love what he says here. He says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Peter says it another way in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says it this way. He said, the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that each should reach repentance. So many times in the way that we are going about is is this idea that he wants us to learn from our mistakes and wants us to repent of our mistakes. That's where his kindness begins to shine. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad God was patient with me because sometimes I'm a knucklehead and it takes me like months or sometimes years to realize what I've been doing and the way that I've been looking at other people and the way I've been judging other people in my heart is not the way to do it. So I'm thankful for God's kindness and his patience because eventually it will lead each of us to a place of repentance. Fourth, by judging others, you will place yourself in the path of God's anger. We see this in verses 5 and verses 8. I love the way that this says in verse 8. He says, but those who are self-seeking are seeking selfish ambition. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. So there will be wrath and fury. Oftentimes, selfish ambition can lead to judging. If you're so tunnel-focused on getting what you want and, and, and ruthlessly going for it, you're going to be looking at other people from time to time and say, you know what, they're not doing it right. They're not doing this right. They're not doing that right. They're not... And, and you look at them because selfishness has a way of puffing us up and causing us to uh, be conceited to a point that we're blinded to the way that we judge others and look down upon others because we're so good, because we're, we're going in this direction and we're, we're achieving this and this and this and this. And look at these people. They're not doing it. You see where I'm going with that? This doesn't please God at all. In fact, he says this leads to his wrath and to his fury. Lastly, by, God, by judging others, 
Drama follows you wherever you go. Can I speak to the students here for just a moment without speaking to them? This is one of the most difficult things that I see junior high and high school people um, have to deal with, is the fact that so-and-so did something to so-and-so. And so now I have to jump in and do and protect so-and-so because so-and-so is my friend. And now you get dra- dragged into this whole piece of drama and it just continues. And now somebody else then jumps in and somebody else jumps in. And pretty soon you have a huge mess. You have a lot of feelings that are hurt. You have... Um, relationships that are damaged, sometimes permanently, simply because you decided to judge someone when you shouldn't have. It causes drama in your life. Now, as Paul continues in this pointed language of his, there are a couple Uh, rewards for those who don't judge others. We find this in verse 7 and verses 10. Uh, You experience a wonderful life with God forever when you don't consistently judge others. What I mean by wonderful life is you live really a blessed life. You don't invite that drama into your life. You're not condemning yourself. God's judgment is when it comes around to judging others, is nowhere near you. You understand God's kindness. You're not in the path of his anger, but in the path of his blessing. You see, this is a reward of life. And there's some people who might be a bit confused when they read this. They see, this is in verse 6. He says, He, meaning God, will render to each of us according to our works. Those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. This kind of gives the impression that if we do something, we get eternal life. And that's not exactly, even though it says that in those ways, we have to dig just a bit deeper because there's many other places in the Bible that talks about we receive um, eternal life by grace and grace alone. This says works. I think what Paul is trying to explain here is this idea that this is a reward of living a life that is honoring and thanking Christ. And so as you are honoring and thanking Christ and bringing glory to him, because the gospel has touched your life in such a way and transformed it, you know that you're not going to be judging others in the ways that will get you in trouble. You will keep your mouth shut and you will pray for those people. And when those people might ask you questions, you might be that sounding board, hopefully uh, giving out pearls of wisdom to them to help them walk through their difficulty. You're not going to jump in the middle of the soup and be swimming with them. Secondly, find this in verse 10, that you experience peace in the here and now. Who here has experienced that? When you have decided to stop judging, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your friends, maybe coworkers or neighbors, 
do you ever recognize a peace that just washes over you? You're not so preoccupied with all the things that they're doing and how they're doing it. You just kind of let it go. And you're like, wow, this feels good. I didn't realize I could be this relaxed. I didn't realize I could be this peaceful. This is really nice. You see, this is a reward of not judging others. Now, there's three takeaways for this. Number one, there is hope in the midst of falling down. We find this in verse 4. The hope of this entire passage is that because God is kind to you and kind to me and kind to everyone, that's going to lead us to a point of repentance. At some point, we're going to recognize the errors of our ways. We're rather, it might be through a person like Nathan who came to David and just told him like it was. It might be through a dream. It might be through reading Scripture. It might be through a song you're listening to on the radio as you're driving down the road. It might be through a movie or a TV show. But there are many ways that God can turn on a light bulb in our head and say, Oh, ouch! I didn't realize I was doing that. I didn't realize how judgmental I have been in this particular situation. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Cleanse my heart. Help me not to be in the same place again. Lead me in paths of righteousness. Allow me to flee the scene of this and never come back. That's God's kindness, it's His mercy, it's His love pouring into us. And that's one of the reasons why we ought to be thankful and honor Him. Which was one of the charges in what we learned last week and the reason why God gave, gives people up to their passions and lust and their minds is because they don't honor or thank Him. Secondly, this passage helps us reorient our lives by warning us to flee sin and to recognize the schemes of the devil. There's a fella by the name of Thomas Brooks. He lived in the 1600s. He wrote this. He says, remember that the devil is actively working to maim and to destroy your relationship with God. He works on us And then he begins to divide us. And then he brings bitterness and jealousy into our hearts so that we bite and devour each other. He says, what's the remedy? If that's the case, and that's how we get to judge one another, what's the remedy? Uh, He says, well, um, Paul has the solution. Found in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11. This comes right after what we read for communion every week. He says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. That's the remedy. 
if we judged ourselves truly, I love the way he puts that word truly in there, because that is means authentically. That means really examining your heart and being dead level honest with yourself. Truly, when you judge yourselves truly and you see all the ways that you do things, then you will not be judged. He continues, he says, if our hearts took up judging and condemning themselves, we would not be so apt to judge and censure others and carry out sour and being sourly and bitterly towards others who differ from ourselves. Lastly, this passage should persuade and inspire the church that is us, the assembly of God's people, to be radically different than their neighbors. Why would Paul have to go through all of this writing to talk about judging others? Because it was present in the world. And Jesus has told us that we are to judge not. And by the way we judge, we are going to be judged. That's in uh, Matthew 7. We've heard from Paul, judge, not, or judge yourselves truly so that you will not be judged. What if we really lived like that? I want you to imagine for a moment if that was true. If we judged our hearts truly so that we would not be judged. What if that was true 100% of the time? Could that be a light shining in the darkness at the high school, at the junior high, in college, in your workplace, maybe even in your home? Bringing peace. People would recognize that and they would ask you, why don't you ever get involved in the drama? Why don't you ever get involved in what's going on? I haven't heard, even though people differ from you, you love them in a way that I don't quite understand because so many other people pick on that person because of the way they dress or the way they look or because they read a lot or because whatever. And you don't. You're their friend. And you know what? You're a friend to everyone. I see lots of people coming from lots of different backgrounds, and you seem to be able to get in, in um, to be a friend to them all. You're very welcoming to those. I know you. I know you're a Christian, but you're very welcoming to those who don't share your view. Imagine what that would look like if that was true. And then the question is, do you think that it would begin to turn some heads? Do you think that would be like honey that attracts bees? Do you think that you might become a magnet of people wanting to have what you have because you're so distinctly different. And then one by one, two by two, 
you share with them how God has worked in your life so that you aren't judgmental. And they'll say, I have been on that same search. Like Luke Skywalker, right? Trying to find the force. I know that it's there. I know that there's something out there, but I can't quite put my fingers on it. And when I do, it slips away because I have doubt, because I'm confused, because there's a mystery that I can't solve. And yet you are showing me a mystery that is revealed. You're showing me clarity. You're removing doubt from my mind. Imagine if that was true. How cool would that be? Let us pray. Father, as we come to you, we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We are so thankful for the way that you write Scripture. Though it can sting at times, it's so good. And when it's comforting at times, it's so good. May you work these passages deeply within our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.